Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. This is uh, lesson number seven, How Wives Invest in a Treasured Marriage. Uh, 1955, you may have seen this before. This was a, an actual magazine article, The Good Wife's Guide. It includes things like having dinner ready, preparing yourself, be a little gay, and more interesting for him, clear away the clutter. During the cooler months, prepare and light a fire for him, minimize all noise, be sincerely happy to see him. Um, listen to him, don't greet him with complaints and problems, make him comfortable. And all of you godly women are nodding your heads, yes, yes, that's... Uh, well, if anybody wants a copy of that, if you hadn't seen that before, I'll be happy to provide that. Now, the New Testament does not provide a detailed list of specific responsibilities, nor do we find them on the back of a marriage license. His commandments do not tell us who is to take out the garbage, fold the socks, mow the grass, or pay the bills. However, God is not altogether silent with respect to roles and responsibilities. The scripture provides basic principles for the roles of Christ's disciples, men and women who seek to honor God in a treasured marriage. Now, as we start this, I'd like to start with a contextual backdrop, a backdrop, a contextual backdrop. Last week, we focused on how a Christian man can treasure his wife in marriage. This week, we're focusing on how godly women uh, can treasure Christ in your marriage. And we start with passages that are familiar, like the Ephesians 5 passage, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then, of course, Ephesians 5.33, nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife, the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, most non-Christians deny the authority of Scripture and brush aside Paul's statement as cultic and medieval. If you and I dropped the word submission into a conversation in a group of people, you would get lots of eye rolls and you would be determined that you were some kickback to the past, some result of uh, a cult or you're a, uh, a, 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 some weirdo believes chaining women to, the, uh, to a washroom with a chain long enough to reach the bedroom and the stove. Now, before we get caught up in the world's view and understanding, let's back on a little bit and we'll look at the context. A text without a context is a pretext. A text without a context is a pretext. So I do encourage you, open up your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. After laying out the first three chapters of Ephesians, the foundation of Christ, chapter 1, the scope of God's saving grace, chapter 2, and the goal of God's redemptive work in chapter 3, then Paul begins a series of exhortations to the church beginning in chapter 4. In chapter 5, God, through Paul, calls the readers to continue the change and growth that God's work initiates. Right? That's pretty simple outline of Ephesians, the queen of the epistles. Now you'll remember how last week we looked at the wonderful passage in Colossians, understanding how our normal discipleship, part of how we obey God and our Father and reflect that we are bond servants of Christ Jesus involved in the glorious, soul-enriching and, and dedication to upholding 
and encouraging the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth is how we fulfill our roles, our callings. So now, turn in Ephesians 5, down a few verses to verse 15. And look there, it says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise people, making the most of the time. And now here you see, just as we did in Colossians, this same wonderful experience that sounds like it's in the midst of a glorious worship service. Right? Look at, look at the explanation here. Verse 19, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks. Okay? So you see the same glorious setting in the context of how we are to live out our Christian lives. Now, verse 21 there says, and subject yourselves to one another in a fear of Christ. Note that this subjection, this submission to other believers is based on the continual reverence for God. We are to do it in the fear of Christ, right there in verse 21. So here's the question, and it has to do with our topic today. Ephesians 5, 21 does that, does that imply a mutual submission in every relationship? I see some head shaking. I see some heads cocked to the side as if, what is he saying? <laughs> uh, some would teach that Paul expects everyone to be equally submissive to everyone else based on verse 21. That husbands are to be submissive to wives. Employers are to be submissive to employees. Well, how do we understand this? Well, the point of Paul's statement is quite simple. All of us are called to positions of authority and positions of subordination. Submission to authority. So you have people who have authority over animals. Parents have authority over children. Teachers have authority over students. Pastors have authority over those within the congregation. Civil magistrates have authority over citizen. Constitutions and courts have authority over civil magistrates. And the people have authority over civil magistrates. So it's not just that women only are to exhibit and obey and live out submission. No one except Christ has ultimate authority in the world. He rules over lesser authorities as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Does this make sense? Every single one of us is in submission. Even if you're the owner of a company, even if you're Elon Musk, you know, there are authorities to which we are all to be in submission. Now, the mutual submission interpretation where husbands are supposed to submit to wives, evolved because of today's confusion over the role of women. And that has crept into the church. Every Christian at some point is called to submission. We are to submit in the fear of God, as that passage said. All right? As fallen, self-focused creatures, however, we chafe, we all chafe under any call to follow, submit, or obey others. Calvin is very helpful on this matter. In his commentary to the Ephesians, he says this, and I think, do you have this quote on your paper? You do? 
There is nothing more irksome to the mind of man than this mutual subjection. He directs us to the fear of God who alone can subdue our fierceness that we may not refuse the yoke and can humble our pride. That we may not be ashamed of serving our neighbors. The minds of all godly persons ought to be influenced by such fear under the reign of Christ. Now, my wife and I were talking with a relative just this past week. And my wife wisely pointed out, without our review of this, pa- this uh, quote, that it's our pride that we all strive against submission to authority. The Apostle Paul, here in Ephesians, makes a transition and introduces us to specific relationships of authority among Christians in verses 22 through 6-9. As you have your copy of the Word open, I want you to view that and scan that. He declares unequivocally that every Spirit-filled Christian disciple is to be a humble and submissive Christian. This is foundational. It's foundational to all the relationships that follow in that section. No believer is inherently superior to any other believer in our standing before God. We are equal in every way. And so Paul, the one who's accused of being a misogynist, can say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So, let's make very clear that Jesus treated and viewed women in very high regard. You know how I have said multiple times that the Judeo-Christian treatment of women stands in stark opposition to the cultures that surrounded them. First, it's important to see that Jesus regularly addressed women directly in public. That's seen, that's noted. Whether you're talking about the Samaritan woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Luke gives adequate attention to the women in the gospel, including identifying the women that supported Christ Jesus and his work. And they would not have supported him if he was antagonistic toward women. The woman who called to him in the crowd, the woman who suffered from bleeding, the bent-over woman who was bent over for 18 years. A second aspect of Christ's regard for the full intrinsic value of women is seeing how he spoke and listened to the women he addressed and whose achievements and giftedness he acknowledged. He spoke in a thoughtful, caring manner. Each synoptic writer records Jesus addressing the woman with dignity and with tenderness as daughters. And Jesus referred to women as daughters of Abraham, thereby according them a spiritual status equal to that of men. Not only did he speak well to them and in public, but the fact that women appreciated and supported him is plain throughout the Gospels. Third, Jesus did not gloss over the sin in the lives of the woman that he met, the woman at the well, the woman taking adultery. Their sin was not condoned, but it was confessed. 
Each had the personal freedom and a measure of self-determination to deal with the issues of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. So the bottom line is this. Men, even if you and I, even if men throughout history as fallen image bearers fall into sinful patterns with regard to women, Jesus stands apart and demonstrates the heart of our Heavenly Father perfectly. Perfectly. So, let's talk about 13 ways that godly women treasure their marriage. It says 12 here, but I actually have 13. 13 ways that godly women treasure their marriage. And we're going to look at each passage, and then we'll pull the key words from that passage. Ephesians 5, 22, starting there. And we're starting with the word submission. Submission. This is undoubtedly one of the most unpopular verses in the whole Bible today. In our day, it's been the focus and target of unlimited cynicism. For penning these words, the Apostle Paul has been labeled a male chauvinist, a misogynist, and anti-feminist. The verse is not popular with many who are militant for the cause of women's liberation. Paul, however, is not setting a case for male supremacy, patriarchy, or engaging in a diatribe against women. When God calls women to be in subjugation, submission, or under authority, he roots his argument in creation, not in a desire to perpetuate a concept of female inferiority based on distorted cultures of ancient Greece or Rome or that of any fallen man. In creation, Eve was not called to be a subordinate slave to a tyrant. It was rather the relationship of a queen to a king. Adam and Eve were given dominion as God's deputy monarchs. Eve was created to be a queen. And we hear the resounding words of God, it is good. And when he blessed them and said it is very good in the union, Adam said, it's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He did not treat her or call her to be a servant. So the Old Testament and New Testament doesn't envision women being told, get that, go over there, fix me that, put another log on the fire. As funny as that song is. And hopefully we have a sense of humor and we can laugh at those, what's the right word? Preconceived notions. Whatever. In addition, consider that there's essential unity within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that economy means this, that God the Father and God the Son send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes in obedience. Christ was appointed by the Father to be in concert with the Son and not, as opposed to his will, the sacrifice for his people. Christ submitted himself to the Father. So you have, even within the Godhead, the concept of submission. Submission and obedience to authority that's designed is not a sinful thing. The loss of female dignity came about when sinful male arrogance declared the myth that preeminence in authority means superiority in dignity. Fallen men arrived at the gratuitous conclusion that since men, God put them in charge of the home, it must have been because he knew that they were intrinsically better, more wise, or more intelligent. Peter uses the word obey in his text, in, first, in Peter 3, but it would be best to recognize that the Greek verb means to pay close attention to someone. 
and men just as you and I can be easily distracted, women can be distracted as well and not pay close attention. Unfortunately, many women protest loss of dignity by buying into the lie that men started. They've fallen into the trap of thinking that the only way to restore dignity is to remove men from positions of authority and claim that prerogative for themselves. That is throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Even striving for a 50-50 relationship in a marriage is insufficient. What do you do when you get a tie vote? You go to binding arbitration? We would need the collective wisdom of the ancients and all the Supreme Court justices that ever existed. The church is not submissive to Christ on a 50-50 basis. And we must see that in our homes. So, what practical ways can we truly see, biblically see, in an honorable way, a woman submitting to her husband in a Christian home? What's an appropriate way that that can be made manifest? I spend a lot of time throwing out the baggage that our culture throws at us. Well, let's talk about godly ways. How can a godly wife, a disciple of Christ, honor him by being in submission to the husband in the relationship? You know I'm a fan of the awkward pause. I'll, I'll sip the tea all day long. Helper? Okay. Come alongside of his goals. Doesn't mean you erode your own ladies. You come alongside of his goals, his tasks. What else? How about ask for his opinion and seriously consider it? Think of his needs and consider them as more important than your own. Yes. I think a, a hard attitude in her view of the husband is uh, uh, one of the foundational blocks to the acts of submission. But I think just viewing her husband in the way that, that God has called him to lead as the husband uh, with that hard attitude um, is just an internal submission that kind of will be seen in all of the other acts that she does. Yeah. What's the hard attitude? Is that, is that willingness to be submissive there? You know? And actually, the willingness to encourage the husband to lead, especially with some relationships where the man has abrogated his leadership. You know? A godly woman will encourage her husband to lead. Be willing to engage in intimacy. Again, considering him may be more important than yourself. Don't accept abusive behavior or be enticed to sin. Talk to him about changes in the marriage. One of the other passages here, 
that we've looked at so far is focus. Focus is on submission to your husband. The passage in both Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Peter state plainly, your husbands, your own husbands, so that women do not need to feel obligated to submit to every man that comes along in God's providence. This is a relationship between husband and wife. So can there be women who are in positions of authority outside of the home? Can there be men in positions of authority outside the home? Yes. And again, that's part of what Ephesians talks about. Focus is also not only to your husband, but focus is also under the headship of Christ. The text says, as unto the Lord. Christ leads the church, and the benevolent creator has ordained that in the same way that as Christ leads, the husband should have that role and reflect the sacrificial, purifying, nourishing, cherishing, gospel love saturated, and purposeful love of Christ. Also, focus under less than perfect circumstances. That a husband has leadership does not license the husband to be a tyrant or treat his wife like a slave. Well, what if a husband doesn't assume the responsibility of leadership and defers all decisions to the wife? In most cases, a wife will fill in the void and assume the authority. In such cases, the woman is free to use all of her skills, encouragements, and power of persuasion to help her husband fulfill the responsibility of leadership. Should a woman always submit herself to the husband? And the answer to that is plainly no. This is not an absolute chain of command. God requires that we disobey any authority. In the words of Peter, we must obey God rather than man when obedience means going against God's revealed will. Colossians 3.8 is very plain. Wives be subject to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. The Greek word is an echo, to be fitting, seemly, or proper. In the Septuagint, the same word is used as something that's legally binding, like an accepted law of human society. So, while our society, our culture, has taken over, uh, been taken over by humanistic philosophies and discarded godly principles, the church has been impacted to the point where those who fight, there are those who fight against God's design and order. Unfortunately, this erosion can destroy the authority of God's word and create a void which becomes replaced by the very shifting philosophies around us. Also, this phrase, fitting in the Lord, is, so, is, is just exclusive of anything that falls outside of the behavior, action, plans, and practices which honor God. So, can you think of women in the scripture who demonstrate this principle either way? being in submissive submission to their husband or disobeying because what is being required is directly out of God's design, plan, and delight. Any godly women. Those illustrations are in there. John MacArthur does this. He tries to get as many illustrations out of the Bible as possible. That way God's word is what forms our thinking and frames our thinking. Any women, husband, wives, that you can think of. So Abigail. Abigail. That's what I call my wife, Kim. She suppresses the foolishness of her husband, Nabal. Me. <clears throat> All right, good. What else? Another one, New Testament, concerning land and money. Ananias and Sapphira, right? So what did they do? They plotted together to defraud God and lie to the Holy Spirit. 
she went along with his sins. She did not need to do that, and as a result, paid the consequences, right? Queen Esther, a Jewess, risked her life by entering the royal presence uninvited and ultimately exposing Haman's scheme. Achan's wife, we don't know exactly if she knew of her husband's violation of the command to not take spoil from Jericho, but she also paid the price. Well, let's go again to another passage that I think is very helpful. 1 Peter 3.1. And again, we're focusing on key words here. And the word that I want you to focus on in this passage, I encourage you, turn there because we're going to be referring to some of these 13 characteristics. 1 Peter chapter 3 and starting in verse 1. There is a gospel orientation. A gospel orientation. In addition to submission and focus, one of the 13 characteristics of a godly wife is that there's a gospel orientation. Under 1 Peter 3, the command to follow under the leadership of a husband does not get erased if a husband is not a Christian. If the husband doesn't submit to the word, submit to him anyway as you can, and without saying anything, he might be one. Make the gospel attractive. 1 Peter 3 continues with the word chaste. Chaste. Pure in conduct, behavior and living. It's not just learning all the time and not letting that learning soak into your being, but the doing which God, through Peter, commends. Peter says that disciples of Christ, seeking to treasure their marriage with their husbands, reflect the growth and honor that Sarah has if they do what is right. It's not just the words, but the doing that prove purity in conduct. A beautiful and chaste woman is the perfect workmanship of God and the true glory of angels, the rare miracle of earth, and the sole wonder of the world. That's a quote by George Herms. Again, looking at the key words that 1 Peter 3 has, respectful, respectful. How can wives show that they respect their husbands? Come on, ladies, it can't be that hard. <laughs> Come on. Taking their advice. Taking their advice. Good. What else? Talking. Say it again. Excellent. She must have been reading this. Be a wife who is greatly offended if another woman speaks negatively about your husband. Stand up for your husband. Defend him. Let no one put him down in front of you. No, not even your mother. Build him up. This hopefully will encourage other women to do likewise. Any other ways you can respect your husband or husbands? How do you want to be respected? And remember, I am not ashamed to or embarrassed to say something. Someone back there. By loving Christ more. Excellent. Uh, brother, did you, have, did you have one? No, you were pointing to Darren. I see. Okay, so our brother Caleb Patton is off the hook for now. Respect. Being respectful. Refusing to say, I told you so. Encouraging areas of success. There are many ways for wives to show that they respect the one whom their soul loves. And so treasuring both the man, your marriage, and our Lord Jesus. God, through Peter, encourages us to know that even with surly knuckle-draggers that they married, wives can be one winning their husband without a word, free from manipulation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Unfortunately, there's an example of that in the Bible where a wife did not respect her husband, right? Can you think of one? Old Testament? Job's wife, yeah. She was under a lot of grief. Who else? Who? Sarah, okay. She did not respect her husband. Good. And another one that I thought of was uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Remember what happened to two boys? Undermining the husband, lying, deceiving. Centered on lasting beauty. Centered on lasting beauty. Not a self-absorbed focus on the fleeting beauty of youth, the latest makeup trends from TikTok influencers. And at this time, gentlemen, it might be best if we turn the lights down a little bit because this is a graphic that really needs to be seen. So if we could turn the lights down just a wee bit, that would be helpful because this is an example of focusing on external beauty, makeup, clothing, hair, jewelry. Your adornment must not be merely the external, braiding the hair, gold jewelry, or putting on apparel. Our society is consumed whether you're a TikTok makeup influencer uh, or engaging in catfishing, uh, these are women that focus on themselves violating biblical standards and calling attention to themselves. This doesn't mean we don't take care of our bodies or try to look as good as we can. I checked my outfit out with my wife today. And she said, hey, your socks got to match your, your pants. Okay, fine. So we don't need to be socially awkward, but we can't be consumed with that. Let's go for the inner beauty. Let's go for the inner beauty. Next, gentle. A gentle woman can teach a man to be gentle, respectful, and reverent of her womanhood as complementary to his own manhood. You know that winning him without a word by godly, chaste behavior and having a meek and quiet spirit, God knew exactly what men needed when he provided a mother to raise them and a wife to help him meet uh, to them when they married. Studies have proven that children, and especially boys, suffer if their moms are absent physically or emotionally. Boys all the way up to men who become husbands need women in their lives to care for and encourage them. So women, I would encourage you to be gentle. Sons and husbands need the women in their lives to nurture them, appreciate, and express interest in their lives. And of course, men, I would be remiss in my duties as your brother in Christ and as your friend uh, and as uh, one for whom God holds me responsible um, to encourage you and admonish you, if you are not gentle, that you need to grow in that trait. As little boys or, or as high-powered executives, males can suffer from female neglect. All men need sensitive women in their lives. Peter continues. He talks about a quiet spirit. The Spirit exhorts women to adorn themselves in godliness with a gentle and quiet spirit. Quiet means tranquility arising from within, causing no disturbance to others. It doesn't mean that women are to be absolutely silent. That does not mean that wives are simply to vegetate or never offer an opinion. It does not mean that they understand that God expects them to be humble and still. It does mean that God expects them to be humble and still. It's a beauty and strength of a woman, her opinions, her confrontations, her teaching offered to her husband rise from such beauty and strength. Women, do not neglect the gift of God that is within you to be used as an instrument of redemption to your husbands. 
or to your fiancé in the future. God himself, even more than any husband, is looking for a gentle and quiet spirit. In his side, he says it is precious. Literally, it's face-to-face with God himself that a godly woman stands before a creator in true and lasting beauty. Such a spirit is precious, valuable, priceless to God himself. And there's a great quote here from Alistair Begg. I don't know if you can read it. A gentle and quiet spirit is a supernatural quality. It's a spirit-ordained thing that God manufactures and produces. Let's go to another passage. Titus 2, 3. And again, we're going to be looking at key phrases here. Titus 2, starting in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, subject to their own husbands, that the word of God would not be dishonored. So, first is teachable. Teachable. Like every disciple of Christ, wives, young and old, are continuously to grow and learn as they grow and mature. The sources of our command are manifold, including the word, examples of other godly women, teachers who faithfully open God's word, sound books, and available women's ministries. So I do encourage you, if you're not signed up for the December 3rd event, take advantage of that. If you're not part of the Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon studies, I would encourage you ladies to take advantage of one of those. And definitely, I do want to encourage you not only to be under the preaching of the word in Sunday school and in church, but also in your small group. Don't be remiss. Don't miss those opportunities for you to grow in this regard and to be a learner. Loving. Loving. On the surface, it almost seems that this is, shouldn't this be natural? I mean, you know, I, we began the lesson talking about what the normal expectation was in marriage. Okay, you're going to do the laundry, you're going to, you know. But is it unnatural that we would expect women to be more loving generally than men? But how do godly women love their husbands and children? How can you love your husband and children. Isn't it interesting that God is saying that we need to learn this, ladies? Again, in my mind, it, it's rather expected, but this is something that God says disciples of Christ, women, wives in the home, need to learn to love husbands and children. Well, one of my mentors by a distance. I've had the pleasure of meeting him twice and sitting under some of his teaching. It's Wayne Mack, a homework manual for biblical counseling. <clears throat> and from pages 60 to 63, I have 94 ways a wife may express love to her husband. So we're going to do a little roulette here. Just call out a number and I'll tell you what ways that Wayne Mack says. We, and some of these are funny, okay? So just call out a number between 1 and 94, and I will read you what Wayne Mack says, ways a wife can love her husband and children. 17. 17. All right, 17. Expressing your love in words or notes. Good. What else? Say what? 
24. 24, being willing to face and solve problems even if it requires discomfort, change, and much effort. Come on. I'm just, I guess, I'm just reading off a list. 16? Oh, 62. Thank you. 62. Discussing the meaning of certain Bible passages or discussing how to improve your marriage or home or child raising efforts, etc. Come on, this is fun. What? 65. Well, you already had one. We're going to give it a chance for somebody else. What? Number one. Number one way. And we'll hear the, uh, the drum roll here. <laughs> Greeting him at the door when he comes home with a smile, a hug and a kiss. And am I glad to see you. I really missed you today. Say what? 94? The last one. Letting the children know that you and your husband are in agreement. Communicating to your children when your husband can hear and when he cannot, how wonderful he is. All right, if you'd like copies of these, they're available for five bucks. Uh, just let me know. I'll be happy to give you a copy of the list. Now, all silliness aside, there are lots of ways. And I do encourage you. Uh, it's not part of the homework. But write out ways that you can love your husband. And husbands, write out ways that you would really appreciate if your wife demonstrated her love for you. Husbands, as wonderful as you are, you and your little ones are not always the easiest ones to love. Frustrations of everyday life wear at the facade for the best of us and can erupt in either callous disregard, neglect, surrender, or self-pity, bitterness, and retreat. As women learn about their husbands and developing children, there will be challenges that come with different phases of life. God's goodness is seen when we have cross-pollination with experienced saints uh, to grow in our obedience to Christ and fulfillment of our calling. I do want to encourage you. If you find yourself that you're only hanging around with people your age, cut that out. Hang around with people who are younger, people who are older, people who have more experience in that phase of life than you. And I think you'll find that to be a real blessing. That very passage, older women are to teach younger women. Enough on that. Sensible, sensible. There are far too many jokes about women who are described as scatterbrain or ditzy. The sensibility commended by Peter is the same quality that should characterize elders. All older men, and in fact all believers, common sense and good judgment should improve with age, but they should be evident even in early adulthood. Being sensible is to manifest a prudent and self-controlled spirit. Sensible people demonstrate wisdom and discernment. They are people led by the Holy Spirit and not by the flesh. A sensible woman is one who makes wise commitments, manages her finances well, brings reason and peace to personal conflict. Workers at home. Workers at home. Proverbs 31 and verse 27 says this. She, the excellent wife, looks well to the way of her husband and household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The excellent wife has many activities and achievements. But if you look at the text, you will see that she does not only work within the four walls of her house. She buys a field. She considers it. She buys it. Her products are known in the community. Lydia, in Acts 16, was a prominent believer in Philippi, and she had a wealthy business selling purple garments. Acts 9 has the account of Tabitha, also called Dorcas, who created tunics and garments she made in a well-known business prior to her death. The Lord was pleased to honor her by resurrecting her. These women did not only work within the home. 
Okay? So yes, God through the apostle encourages women to be engaged in profitable labor wherever she finds herself. But here, in that text, specifically seeks to promote work that while so important can also become mundane. And it's not uncommon for some to be tempted to, set, to cast aside the responsibilities at home, whether they are men or women, husbands or wives, and to seek career fulfillment outside of the primary priority. So give that some thought. Again, I'm not saying that you should only work inside the four walls of your home, but neither men or women, husbands or wives, can ever neglect that chief responsibility that we have within our home. Workers at home. Kind. Kind. Women who are disciples of Christ can be filled with the teaching of kindness like that Proverbs 31 woman under their tongues and in their lives and so reflect the kindness of God. Kesed is a rich Hebrew word denoting needs for devotion, favor, and loveliness. The word carries the Old Testament idea of the New Testament word for love, agapo, meaning unchanging, unconditional graciousness. The godly woman's speech is flavored with tenderness and mercy. Others enjoy talking to her for endless hours. She's not rigid, legalistic, self-centered, harsh, or gossipy. Instead, she is kind, gracious, easy, and genuine. As a result, she is a pleasure to be around. I, um, as I think all of you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. In my home, there was violence and abuse. My grandmother was a medium in the spiritualist church. My mother, unfortunately, as a fallen woman, exhibited a lack of some of these very characteristics we're talking about. But as a 16 and 17-year-old, I started going to a church for nefarious reasons at first, and then the people there invited me into their homes. And I saw there very examples of what we're talking about. And I do believe that, in measure, God drew me to himself by how attractive these godly women lived out their lives. We talked about gospel orientation, first characteristic, right? One of the first characteristics. Just how attractive is that? How can we adorn the gospel? And ladies, I want to encourage you. Consider all of these characteristics. Last week we talked about men and how imperfect we are and our goal to become conformed to the image of Christ. Ladies, I want to encourage you with grace with humility, we recognize our, how short we fall on all of these things. But yet God in his spirit is kind to give us his word and the encouragement of others to give him glory and honor, to shine so that ladies, who knows? In the future, somebody else may stand up in a public place and give testimony 
that they were drawn to Christ. Because of you. 